right, and welcome, podcast listeners, to episode number two of the First Avenue Ventures podcast uh, structured startup. We are so excited to have you today. Our goal is to make you a better founder, give you more advice on how to start your company, and we do that by talking to people that have done that. So, Laurel, who are we talking to today? Today, we have Zane Terrence with us. Ah, I love Zane. Zane has been a fixture in the Birmingham entrepreneurial community since as long as the Birmingham entrepreneurial community existed. His energy is legendary, and I am excited to hear what he says. Uh, Zane is at Founders Investment Bank, and he focuses on digital media. Fascinating thing about Zane is his practice is national. He has clients all across the country and is a recognized leader. So it is a treasure that we have him in Birmingham. Laurel, what do we expect to learn today? Well, we have Zane here to talk about unit economics, and that is actually in module 17 of our structured startup course. So this interview today corresponds with the lessons and the questions we have for people there. There is no greater expert in that than Zane. So I am excited to hear this interview. Provide us with, you know, a definition of unit economics for the lay person or someone who's new to business. Sure. And, and unit economics is a term used in a lot of areas, Laurel, but really for a startup entrepreneur, the key is what is the smallest individual unit? that your company can sell to the marketplace. And that unit, what are their costs that go into that? All your expenses to produce that, both variable and fixed. And then what, what revenue is generated when you sell that to an end user? And you look at that entity, that one unit, that could be a service, it could be a location, it could be a Happy Meal that McDonald's is selling. You look at that one unit, and say, what are my expenses? What are my potential revenues? And in those expenses, which ones are fixed and which ones are variable? So it's really, really good to understand this base level of economics for your business because Laurel, so many entrepreneurs are working on faulty unit economics. And what that means is the more you sell, the faster you go out of business. So if we're looking at real life examples of unit economics, um, could you choose sort of one entity you've been involved with and address some of the questions around unit economics about it? And maybe you could tell us about what that entity is or was. Sure. And, you know, thinking about this, of course, I'm an investment banker, uh, Laurel. So I work with, you know, several companies over the years. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds. I think for the purposes of this discussion, I'm going to use one of the companies that, that was my first startup. Uh, virtual learning technology. So it was a software and services business um, that developed testing technologies for large school districts. So I think um, for purposes of this conversation, we'll use virtual learning technologies and as the example. What, if any, were sources of recurring revenue with that entity? The recurring revenue, this was pretty much a software business that we sold to school districts and it was subscription-based revenue. 
So we didn't sell the one-time license charge where the client paid a one-time charge and then we charged them maybe an annual maintenance fee. We actually sold annual subscriptions, but there were also a set of services around those subscriptions. And so the recurring pieces of the business were the subscription services that the school district paid in order to gain access to the software. That that was really the 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 main subscription service. How much recurring revenue could you count on as that business group? Yeah, that that's great. And you know, I started that company and we sold it three years after we started it. And there were different levels of maturity. Early on, I could count on nothing because I didn't I didn't I didn't have any. Um, I was hoping I could get some non-recurring revenue for a school district to pay us to do some customization um, or to do some training or some installation. But once we got the company a little more mature, um, I would say our target was 80% recurring revenue and then 20% non-recurring, which would have been our customizations, our installation, our training, some of the early consulting we did of even how to implement a large-scale technology testing program. Those were the non recurring deals. But later on, my goal was, as we matured as a company, to be about 80% um, recurring, 20% um, non-recurring. And, and there's a there's a key um, uh, element here, Laurel, and for entrepreneurs, I like them to understand this. There's really three broad categories of revenue, and they're more valuable as you move down the continuum as a business. The first is one-time revenue, OTR. Something you do one time for your client. I do a consulting engagement for you. I build a building. I'm one and done. That's not worth much money. Okay. As far as an investors look at your company, that's worth maybe one times revenue in most businesses. Then you move down the continuum a little bit. And you have what we call reoccurring revenue. Now, I used to think 20 years ago that reoccurring and recurring were the same word. They're not. Reoccurring means it happens more than once, but you don't really know when. So like if I owned a car dealership, sold somebody a car, had a good relationship with them, I'm thinking, you know, they might buy another car from me three years down the line, or their kids might buy a car from me. I just don't know exactly when. But then you have the beautiful thing in business called recurring revenue. That means it happens and it happens on a regular basis, just like you pay your cell phone bill every month, like you pay your Spotify every month. And that's recurring revenue or a lease. You pay your rent or something you pay every year. That is a beautiful, beautiful business model. So in unit economics, you first need to define, is this one-time revenue? Is it reoccurring revenue? Or is it the beauty of all beauties, recurring revenue? So in my business, that 80-20 rule is what I was looking for. And a lot of even my non-recurring, my non one-time revenue, I might do some more consulting for that client next year, but it depended on their budget and all that. And sometimes I could count on that. Maybe they needed their new teachers to be trained. But the only thing you can really count on is that subscription recurring revenue each month. And I think that that covers the the sources of non-recurring revenue that you mentioned the training and the consultations. Non-recurring or training in that business, consultation, one-time consulting, uh, paid presentations or workshops that we would do for the school district. 
Um, that was pretty much the non-recurring. And which of your organization's costs were fixed? One thing I love about technology businesses, Laurel, is that you don't have a lot of what we call CapEx, you know, capital expenditure. We have to buy huge buildings. You have to buy bulldozers and trucks and very expensive machines. So a software business is what we call light, you know, CapEx, very, very light. Um, so also your, your fixed costs are light because basically um, your business is about people and tech. Now, in order to keep that business going, you've got to have a certain level of infrastructure. But basically, the fixed cost in our business was our rent, our hosting, um, our certain licenses to software, you know, that allowed us to do our, our, our work. But, but basically, the fixed cost in a software business can, can be, you know, are, are very small uh, related. And to which other of those of costs are variable? That's where the big costs come in. Um, it depends on how well, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, and how busy you are, but hopefully in your cost structure in a software company like I was, your gross margins are extremely high because you don't have a lot of cost of goods sold, right? It's basically people and all your sunk cost in the application development that you did early on. That was a cost you had in your product, but now you sell a subscription, Basically, you give them a password and they sign on and use it. It doesn't cost you, you know, much to deliver that service. And so basically the variable cost were how many salespeople you chose to hire, their commissions based on, you know, what they sold, um, your travel and living expenses based on, you know, who you were installing. So it was very much a variable cost run business. Now, you did have to invest heavily up front in software development the right kinds of teams, the right kind of hardware uh, infrastructures, testing environments. But at the end of the day, most of the costs that I had um, were were variable. And costs. you mentioned those um those sunk costs. Could you sort of elaborate on the one time costs you needed to account for as you grew your business? Yes, and the the one time costs were really the the early software development stages. And you can even capitalize that just like you can, you know, any other type of asset in a business, because it costs money, time and energy to have software development teams get together, build requirements and build and test software. So starting a software business, you have a lot of early development product cost over time. Really, one time cost continued to be, I would say, consultants when we wanted we had bubble projects going on where we needed, you know, high powered advice that could be one time cost. Also, legal expenses around an acquisition. If we bought a company, which we did, there were one time costs. We had to defend ourselves a couple of times against some people that were coming after our patent. So that was one time cost. And so basically um, it's things that are out of the ordinary in your in you know doing business, um, but sometimes it happens. If you had a deductible uh, to your insurance, uh, anything like that, or if you had an unusual expense you did in marketing, where you did a test trade show, uh, an, an international trade show that might have cost you know fifty seventy five thousand dollars. That was a one time expense that we were seeing if we could get a return on invested capital for that for that marketing spend. But that was pretty much a one time. Cost. And you look at this also when you're raising capital or you're selling your business, you want to recast your financials to where you can show an ultimate investor or buyer 
What are those one-time expenses? And what are those expenses that you have to pay, you know, in order to continue and to what operate? What are some the of these sort of ongoing costs that you had to account for? What are some of the ongoing costs that come up in a business like that? Yes. Um, the people. Um, you you can't just, even though people are a variable cost in a software or a services business, I mean, that's something you have to commit to. If you get the reputation, oh, if business slows down, we're not going to invest in our people and we're going to be a revolving door, that doesn't work. So I think you have to look you know, at your people truly as an ongoing cost and your marketing efforts, your salespeople, your customer success reps. Um, that a lot of people wouldn't look at those at ongoing, uh, as ongoing costs. But if you're building an enduring company, I would tell you, you need to make commitments to people over time. You cannot, you need to be funded, capitalized well enough, you know, to stick with those commitments. And I typically say a two-year commitment. If you can't hire someone and know that you have the capital based on a, an okay forecast, you know, to keep them employed. I, I, I think that's dangerous. The other things in our business were subscriptions. Any subscription we had to input products into our products, you know, certain database subscriptions, Microsoft subscriptions, uh, certifications for our people. Those are ongoing costs. Also, the infrastructure to host a subscription-based service. You have to have hosting that you pay, you know, on a monthly basis. So those were ongoing costs that we had to keep paying in order to deliver the level of service that our that our clients depended on. And then of course, our office infrastructure. You have to give these knowledge workers a good environment to work in. So you need to sign long-term leases or have buildings. You know, I think it's critical to have that. Then you have your benefits, cost, and all that's that's associated with your headcount. But again, I think an entrepreneur ought to look at those as ongoing costs um, as they scale their business. Um, looking at scale, how can an entrepreneur know the level of scale that makes the most sense for them and how do they go about reaching it? I'm glad you asked that because it's really um, an artifact that can really help them is a unit economic model. So we're talking about unit economics, but a lot of entrepreneurs, this is kind of fuzzy. You know, they've written down, well, I think these are my costs. I think this is how I spend money and how I make money. But you really need to model this out in a, in a nice spreadsheet with a time factor so you can really see these breakpoints. There are certain inflection points in any business model when you really start catching yourself um, growing and especially growing your margins. What you want to do in a business is continue to expand on your gross margins where either you're able to sell that same unit for more, okay, you can raise your prices, keep your costs the same, right? And your fixed costs the same. Or you can continue to raise the price on your product, you know, heavily. So you, you've really got to model this out in, um, in, in a spreadsheet and you'll figure out those inflection points to where you really get traction. And, and also you're going to figure out some points where you have to add more fixed costs. There comes a time in a business, I remember when we had to hire a CFO. Up to that point, we'd had a bookkeeper. But we found out, oh my goodness, to continue to grow and to keep our books correctly and to be compliant and to have gap accounting, we're going to have to make this investment in a, in a CFO. And so what happens, you get to different levels of your business and it takes more infrastructure. 
you have to have more offices, more space. Um, and you have to you have to really hire the talent to manage a larger business. And so I think you just got to be very careful to model this out to determine where the inflections are on your business when you're going to have to add more more fixed costs. And the beautiful thing is, Laurel, is when you 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 get to a point where you're growing your contribution margins so much faster than you're adding fixed costs. And that's what I love about, you know, a technology business where you're leveraging tech. If it's just a consulting business, then there's unit economics around each of my consultants, right? They can only do so much business a year and keep clients happy. So what do I have to do? I have to hire more and more consultants and there's not much scale in a consulting business. There's a lot of scale in a technology business because you can start licensing that software a lot faster with relatively lower fixed cost. You mentioned earlier, if you get the unit economics wrong, the faster you sell, the faster you go out of business. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, this this is interesting because so many, you know, entrepreneurs are very bright. They did well in math, but you find out sometimes that um, they're, they're not understanding their unit economics. So therefore, we've seen a lot of people um, do very well in their sales, but then their cash flow becomes an issue because they don't look at the timing of when they have to pay for the goods and services that are part of their product or service and when they get paid from their clients, right? And so one of the main things is if you don't understand your unit economics and that contribution margin that's coming back into your business for operations, you can get in trouble and outpunch your coverage. So basically when I see this happens most is when they don't have the velocity of cash in their models to where the money's not coming in fast enough to pay, you know, all the all the fixed cost of the business and the cost of goods sold for their product or service. It's really about cash flow management and and it's amazing again, I see it all the time, companies doing fat just doing so well in sales but uh, but they're going out of business because they're undercapitalized because they didn't understand truly how the cash traveled through the business. Is there any advice that you would give to entrepreneurs specifically in the early stages of their companies? Yeah. Wow. That is a broad question. I'm full of advice because um, I tell people, you know, I've learned more from the mistakes that I've made from the pain I've gone through in life and in business more than I've ever learned from any victories. Right. So probably I would want to talk about things that that bit me in, in business that I want to give advice for. I would say a couple of things early on. Don't shy away from partnerships. Partnerships, sometimes you can um, leverage the brand, the infrastructure, the clout of a partner. For example, this first company I was talking about, Virtual Learning Technologies, I had worked for IBM. They funded me in kind. They gave me all kinds of products, services. I partnered with IBM Global Services. I was able to leverage the brand of IBM as a little startup. When I walked in a school district, they wouldn't have given me the time of day. But when they found out that IBM was sponsoring me, that if they bought a product from me, we used IBM paper to paper up that deal. IBM leasing would lease my solution and all the software that, you know, hardware that went with it and ancillary software and services. It gave me so much credibility. So I would say leverage partners. Number one. Number two, I would say have a hound of God 
on your team. Somebody, that's what I call a salesperson, somebody that can ring the cash register because I've never seen a company that made it without revenue. <laughs> you gotta have that basic unit of revenue. And then it goes down through your income statement where your cost of goods sold, where you're selling an administration, then your taxes and profit. So really, really focus. If you're not the gifted salesperson, get one fast because revenue covers a multitude of sins. You can figure out your unit economic model as you have revenue. If you don't have revenue, you can have the best spreadsheet in the world and you're going to have trouble making that business work. And then I would say another big thing, just, just thinking uh, here with you, uh, pricing, get some help on your pricing. I would say most of the entrepreneurs I work with and me included, I did not truly understand pricing theory. And guess what entrepreneurs typically do? They underprice their services. I'm like, oh, I'm hoping somebody will buy this. It might not be worth it. We underprice it. First thing I see sophisticated investors do or private equity groups when they invest in a company, first thing I see them do typically is raise the prices. So raise your prices, be a sales-centric model, have a person, entity, a system that helps you with sales, and then don't shy away from partnerships. was wonderful. Uh, Zane always brings it home. Laurel, what did we learn in that one? I really love how Zane um, differentiates between and explains the differences in revenue and how for entrepreneurs, it's so important to know if you're looking at one-time revenue, recurring revenue, or reoccurring revenue. Absolutely. What, what always amazes me about Zane is he always comes back to economics, which is such an important lesson for entrepreneurs. We always want to think about these big IPOs or how we're going to solve these great problems, but we have to have good economics to do it. Otherwise, whether we want to solve the world's problems or make a gazillion dollars, it doesn't matter if the economics aren't there. Always fun and fascinating talking to Zane. Final words of wisdom from Zane. Take it away. And this is a pretty technical topic, you know, and you can go so deep in unit economics. Just want to, you know, again, encourage people, don't, don't shy away from this. This is really fun. If you get somebody that's good with Excel, that's a modeler, you can go in a room and just really explore this. Finding out, you know, the core costs related to your individual unit, you know, is, is life-giving to any entrepreneur. So just Spend some time on this, get in a room with somebody. And this is and, and it will also reveal some amazing new strategies you can go after where you can get this wonderful thing that we talked about toward, you know, called scale. When you reach that point to where your gross margins start expanding, 
that's when you know you have a real business and you've created enterprise value. So I would just say, don't skim over this. Get somebody that, that does this work, spend some time on it and build a unit economic model. And that's an iterative process. You'll change inputs all the time. You'll figure out, uh-oh, I have a bookkeeper. I need a controller, not a CFO yet. You'll kind of figure out in your projections when those, you asked this earlier, when those um, non-recurring expenses, when you're going to need to invest in order to scale your business. The other quick thing I would say, Laurel, is look at benchmarking. Look at other companies in your segment, in your market that are a little further down the line than you, even if there's publicly traded companies where you can get all their data, look at their metrics, look at their unit economics. And probably they're a lot better than yours if they're big because size matters. Size gives you, you know, spreading out fixed cost over many more units. But, but look at what good unit economics are in your industry. A lot of entrepreneurs have no idea how to compare themselves. Oh, I think I'm doing pretty well. No, you're doing terribly according to your competition, right? So study what the real good unit economics are, test them, build a model, and continue to think about it.